began a series called Africa in Redemptive History. And my goal in this was to do something a little bit different around the issue of black history. Uh, I think most of us, as I look out in this room, are old enough to be rather well acquainted with a lot of the history that surrounds us as it relates to this country and all the history, I don't say all of it, but a significant amount of the history surrounding um, us coming to this country, our ancestors becoming slaves, and, and the whole history of being here on American soils, uh, coming through slavery, coming through Reconstruction, coming through uh, Jim Crow, coming through the, the whole, um, I forget the word now, uh, 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 the Civil Rights Movement, but the sharecropper system, um, and, and, and all of the things that have gone on in our, our country, the, the significant figures from everybody in the sports world, the political arena, the, the academic arena, we, we know all of our significant um, and people who made huge contributions. Now, now I dare say where we may have dropped the ball, as I was talking to Elder this morning, we have to make sure we're very diligent in teaching the basic history to our young people. Uh, because it's not being taught in school like it was when uh, those of us who are north of 40 or 40 and north of 40 had it when we were in school. It's very intentional. Most of us came out of predominantly black neighborhoods, black communities, and so that stuff was reinforced, but not so much today. And so we have to be very vigilant, very intentional, very, very focused on transferring to our younger generation the uh, significant black history. Uh, this was brought home to me a couple of weeks ago. I was riding down the, the um, landing and I were going somewhere, and I happened to mention about Magic Johnson and his old uh, AIDS scare. And he looked at me, and it dawned on me he had never heard that. He had no idea uh, of Magic Johnson's health scare with, uh, with the AIDS uh, virus. He didn't know. It's like, whoa, how did we miss this? So it's important, amen, for us to convey our, our history. But I wanted to step back a bit because our history, the history of, of, of what we call black people didn't just begin in America. That our history spans way, way back um, to the continent of Africa that we uh, black folk affectionately, affectionately refer to as the motherland. And so I wanted to, to step back. And, and take you through the pages of scriptures to show you how God has used Africa as a strategic continent in his redemptive plan. That Africa is not an afterthought. That after Africa is not the dark continent as has come down to us throughout the years. And when I told you last week, when, when I was coming along in high school or in elementary school, the, the word was is that Africa was the dark continent, that Africa was the continent that was shrouded in secrecy and darkness, and, and that it was the continent where savages ran around, that there was no intellect there, and, and that you had people running around in loincloth and, and, and et cetera. And then you had shows like Tarzan, where you had one white man that's running around the jungle in loincloth, conquering the jungle, subduing alligators and, and chimpanzees and all this kind of stuff. And so this stuff being ingrained in us, so this is our image of, of Africa. 
But nothing could be further from the truth. And so as we turn our attention back to part two, I should say part two of of Africa in redemptive history. What role did Africa play in God's plan of redeeming humanity? Now, as I told you last week, that beautiful picture that you see on the screen of this 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 colorful uh, picture, this rainbow is appeared on the most recent copy of Newsweek magazine. And the, 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 the lead story is called Black China. And the question that the authors are raising in the article is, is Nigeria poised to be the next superpower on the continent of Africa? And as I said last week, while I can agree with some of that, it begs the question because this is not the first superpower that's ever arisen on the continent of Africa. We, we, we looked at the first superpower last week, and I want to spend some time doing a little bit of reviewing. But I want to, before I do that, just tell you a little bit about the continent of Africa. Didn't do this last week. Just to give you some scope about how magnificent this continent is. Africa spans about 11 million square miles. It is the second largest continent in the world. There are an estimated 2,000 different languages spoken on the continent of Africa. There's an estimated 3,000 tribes on the continent of Africa. And there is a multitude of shades of colors, skin texture, skin tones, skin colors on the continent of Africa. You, you have the, you have the, what you might call the, the blue, dark, blue, black, dark, which would be a very dark to the very light skin or the very chocolate tone that you might find on the east coast of Africa, to the very dark skin Africa that you may find uh, in, in the Sudan and, 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 and the heart of Africa and in places of Nigeria. And so you've got all these shades of colors. That's why you may find folks that look the same complexion as Deacon Fred and even Deacon, I mean, Elder, Elder, Elder Cunningham. Because there's no one shade of color on the continent of Africa. It's multiple. In fact, just to give you a quick example, I have been mistaken for being Ethiopian on multiple occasions. Multiple occasions. First time I went to Seattle, Washington, which is, uh, has a huge Ethiopian population. The guy I was working with, when I got to meet him, he said, hey, Ron. He said, uh, did you did you see any Ethiopians at the airport? And I said, yeah. He said, how did they treat you? I said, what do you mean? He said, did they speak? I said, in fact, yeah, they spoke. I said, what's the big deal about that? He said, well, typically they don't speak to non-Ethiopians. I said, what? He said, well, you look like an Ethiopian. That's why they spoke to you. So I said, well, okay. I chalked that up. Next time I flew out west, I had to stop in Minnesota at the airport. And there was a woman working at one of the kiosks that just kept looking at me. 
I'm like, why does this woman keep staring at me? And I realized, Mom Winifred, I said, oh, okay. She Ethiopian. And she kept looking. She kept looking. And, and when it was my turn to pay, she took my money. And, and when she turned around to give me my change, she said, uh, you Ethiopian? I said, no, no Ethiopian. She said, no, said, no, not Ethiopian. And the last time it happened, I was in Boston, Logan Airport. Walking around Sister Kim in one of the, the uh, gift shops. And I'm just walking around, lady spoke. And I noticed every time I moved, she moved. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm like, okay, now I know uh, I ain't being racially profiled here or anything because she looked like me. Maybe unless, so she kept walking around and she spoke and she's nodding and she's smiling. And then finally she got up the nerve and she said, uh, you, uh, you Ethiopian? I said, no. She said, no. She said, you're not Ethiopian? I said, no, I'm not Ethiopian. And she said, well, you married to Ethiopian? <laughs> I said, no, not married to Ethiopian. And she just scratched her head and then she said, uh, do you have children? I said, yes. Then they marry Ethiopians then. I said, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But you know what really, and the thing that bothered me, because got me, I was like, in every case, they were all women. So I don't know what that was all about. I'm trying to figure that one out. Uh, but in each case, it was all women. I don't know. I didn't tell the wife that. I, I don't know. So, but, but I've been mistaken. I got spoken in, in uh, when I was in, in, in uh, Seattle. It was the men, because those men worked at the airport, and they threw their hand up and waved, and et cetera. And the same thing happened. I, the last time it happened was in Washington, D.C. A woman was standing behind the counter working, and I was looking at her name, and I asked her, what, how do you pronounce your name? And she told me, I said, uh, are you Ethiopian by any chance? She said, yes, I am. And then she said, I was wondering when you were going to speak to me. <laughs> I said, well, okay. So I had my family to do Ancestry.com. <laughs> they did Ancestry.com, but they ain't had no Ethiopian blood. <laughs> oh, I was so disappointed. I, I, I was so disappointed, Sister Kennedy. I didn't know what to do. I just knew I was going to come back having some Ethiopian blood. But most of my bloodline came from the area of Benin in West Africa. Around that area, that's where my, my ancestry, my bloodline traces back to the area of Benin. So, so just so you know, again, there are these multiple shades of, of colors in, in Africa. There's also different shapes and heights in, in Africa. The Dinka people of South Sudan are believed to be the tallest people. The average male in the Dinka tribe stands six foot four. And the women average six feet. That's average for the Dinka tribe. In terms of resources, you may not believe this, but Nigeria, if my memory serves me correctly, Deacon Curry, Nigeria is the second uh, largest producer of oil in the world. When we think of oil, we always think about the, 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 the Arabian Peninsula and Arab and places like that. No, it's Nigeria is the second leading producer of oil in the world. And, of course, we know about the diamond mines 
of South Africa and all the other natural resources that you find on the continent of Africa. Now, to the next slide. Just a quick review. The founder of Black History Month is Dr. Carter G. Woodson. In 1926, Dr. Wilson proposed the launch of the annual February Observance of Negro History Week, which became Negro History Month in 1976. And as you recall last week, his goal was to make known that black people have a history because one of his professors said that the Negro has no history. And there are a lot of people who labor under this false notion that Black people don't have a history beyond what's here in the United States. And so Carter G. Woodson set about to institute what we call as Black History Month so that everyone would know about the contributions of black people. Now, if you remember last week, I wanted to ground you in the biblical history around Africa, because the Bible does not refer to the continent as Africa. That came later. The word Africa is a, a, is a derivative of Latin, and other people named the continent Africa. Biblically, next slide, please. The next, next slide will, will show us that, uh-uh, go back, go back. Yeah. In Genesis chapter 10 and the table of nations, we see where the, the sons of Ham are the primary progenitors or the primary inhabitants of this land that's called Africa. And in Genesis chapter 10, verse 6, it says that the descendants of Ham. Now, I didn't tell you this last week, but the, the name word Ham means burnt, dark or swarthy. The word swarthy means dark-skinned. That's what the word Ham means. And this was Noah's son. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. When, when, the, when, when Noah's ark settled on Mount Ararat, and when his sons debarked, I mean, on, on board, got off the, the, uh, the uh, I'm thinking about planes now. When they got off the boat and God told them to replenish and multiply, the descendants of Noah... Uh, began to migrate and spread out over the, the world during that time. The descendants of Ham went south and west, and they ended up in the land that we now call Africa. And so the word Ham means burnt, dark, or swarthy. Ham's sons were Cush, Miseram, Put, or Foot, and Canaan. Cush, in your Bible, Cush is also called Ethiopia. Ethiopia is a Greek word which means black. Nubia is also the name for for Cush, and it represented the area due south of Egypt. It's not what we call present day Ethiopia as such. The whole land south of Egypt all the way down to present day Ethiopia was called Nubia. And as I told you last week, if you study your history, you will find that there are pyramids scattered throughout the kingdom of Nubia, just like pyramids that were up in Egypt. In fact, 
the darker skinned Nubians used to control Egypt. That was these wars that went on between the two of them. And so the Nubians conquered Egypt multiple times and controlled them. Mizarim, the word itself means dual, which refers to the upper and lower parts of Egypt. Now, as you well know, you study your history. Egypt is is divided into upper Egypt and lower Egypt. And that's what the word Mizram means. It means dual, upper and lower. In your Bible, Mizram is Egypt. Egypt is also referred to as Kemet. This is what the Egyptian people called themselves, Kemets. And as I told you last week, if you're on the Internet, you go up or if you go up to the East Coast, you go to D.C., you go to New York, you go to Philadelphia and you're walking down the street and you'll find these guys called Hebrew Israelites with their megaphones and their Bibles yelling and screaming at people. They are into what's called Kemetic. Then the Kemetic religion and Kemetic is nothing more than another word for Egyptian. So you need to understand this. And if you go on the Internet, you'll find they get a big following for people who uh, who own and my brother nodded because there are several people nodded last week to understand that this is about Egyptian religion in Egyptian history, the Kemetic religion. Uh, put is in modern day Libya and then Canaan. Uh, you know this. This is the promised land. Now, go to the next slide. I want to show you um, this. Uh, this is a map of the table of nations, and you'll see this whole green area here is where the descendants of Ham migrated to. This area right in here is Mizarim. This is Egypt. And if you can see this squiggly line that goes through here, this is the Nile River that begins here in northeastern, in the northern parts of Egypt, and it flows all the way down through the land of Cush, and comes all the way down through, uh, uh, like I said, all the way down through here and it empties into the Sudan and, and all the way through Sudan and down into Uganda. Uh, and as I told you that at some point, the, the Nile River empties into Lake Victoria, which is down and uh, Jewel should know. Did you get to see it? Yeah, I saw where the source of the Nile Where it Lake Victoria. Okay, so Lake Victoria is one of the largest lakes in the world that's on the continent of Africa. That's where the the Nile River empties into and is down in this this region. And if if you can see all this other green areas, these light green areas, this is all the areas where uh, Ham's sons migrated to. And you can see here, this is Shinar. This is the area where Babylon is. This is where Abraham came from. And you put two and two together, people. This is put... This is modern day Libya. Uh, and so and then this is the land of Canaan. These are all descendants of Ham and where they migrated to uh, in the Bible. Next slide, please, sir. This is just a quick map of, of uh, modern day Egypt and you can I mean, modern day Africa. And of course, you can see here's Egypt here. This is the Sudan, South Sudan. This is modern day Ethiopia here. And you come down. This is all the east coast of Africa. And, um, and I believe that's Lake Victoria there because this is Uganda right in here. And and uh, you got these three countries that surround Lake Victoria. You have Uganda, Kenya and Tanzania all border Lake Victoria. This is what modern Africa. You can see how big it is. It's a huge continent. Now, last week, let's move on. 
As we talked about why is Africa's role in redemptive history. Why does this next slide, please. Why is this so important? If you remember, I said, well, I didn't say this, but I'm going to say this now. When we talk about Africa in redemptive history, we're talking about God's plan of redeeming mankind. If you think about the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis, as I told Landon this morning, the book of Genesis is divided up like this. In first and second chapters of Genesis, you have creation. In the third chapter of Genesis, you have the fall. In chapters four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine, you have the consequences of the fall that's being revealed. Then in chapter 10, you see the table of nations. In chapter 11, you continue on with the fallout of the, of the, of the fall. But then in chapter 12, you see now God put in motion his plan of redemption by calling Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees. When God called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees, God says, now I'm about to put my plan of redemption into motion. Now, it is important for you to understand this because a part of God's promise to Abraham was in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13 and 14. And God told Abraham this. He says, know for certain that you're, that, that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation. They serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. This is part of the promise that God made to Abraham, that your descendants are going to be strangers in a land for 400 years, but then after that they're going to come out with great possessions. So a part of Africa's role is all a part of God's design, The children of Israel had to go down into Egypt because it was part of God's redemptive plan. Now, next slide. As I stated last week, we wanted to be clear on a number of things that Egypt is in the continent on the continent of what? Don't miss that. Now, I know that modern day people try to de-Africanize Egypt, try to make people think that Egypt is not on the continent of Africa Egypt is in northern Africa. Point number two, ancient Egypt played such a great part in Bible history that it names occurs over 750 times in Scripture. And the word Pharaoh is mentioned over 200 times. I've already talked about the fact that the ancient Egyptians referred to themselves as Kemet, meaning black land or people of the black land. Next slide. We talked about last week about Africa and the patriarchs. We talked about how Abraham went down to Egypt. And Abraham went down to Egypt because there was a what? Because there was a famine. God used Africa. God used northern Africa to sustain the father of the faith. God sent Abraham down to Africa. God used Africa because last week, as I told you, Egypt was called the breadbasket of the what? I can't hear you. It was called the breadbasket of the world. So God made a promise to Abraham. And by making a promise to Abraham, God had to sustain Abraham. There's a famine in the land. So where does God send Abraham? God sends Abraham to Africa so that Africa could sustain Abraham, so that God's promise can be fulfilled. Not only does Abraham 
go to Africa. Joseph and his father, Jacob, end up in Africa. And so when you look at Genesis 37 all the way to chapter, I mean, 30, chapters 37 through 50, your geographic location, Mount Winifred, is in northern Africa. Every single chapter that you read and as you walk through 37 through 50, you need to know that you are in northern Africa. Joseph goes down, becomes a slave. You know the story. He rises to power in Egypt. Another famine hits the land. Joseph's father and his brothers have to come to Egypt. And once again, Egypt is sustaining the descendants of Abraham. Next slide. Genesis 46, 26 through 27 reads, And all those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his sons' wives, numbered how many people? Sixty-six. Sixty-six people. While the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family which went down to Egypt were seventy in all. So there were seventy members of Jacob's family that were in Egypt, that were in northern Africa. Next slide. We've got to keep it moving. Now, I want you to also know this. Again, that the continent of Africa wasn't called Africa again in the Bible. The continent of Africa was called the land of Ham. It was called the land of Ham. As you see from this psalm, Psalms 105, the whole psalm of Psalm 105 deals with a history lesson of the nation of Israel. How they went to Egyptian slavery. It, it kind of chronicles the history of the children of Israel. And a part of that was dealing with them going down into Egypt. And in Psalms 105:23, it reads, then Israel arrived where? All right, come on, y'all. Stay awake. In Egypt. In Egypt. Africa. Africa. Jacob lived as a foreigner in the land of what? Ham. Lived in the land of Ham. This is what Egypt was called. Next slide. This is all review. I also told you that Joseph, while he was in Egypt, married an African woman. Her name was Asenath. I didn't show you the verses, but I'm going to show them to you today. Genesis 41 and 45 says Pharaoh gave Joseph the name uh, Zapinath Pania and gave him, said Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. To be his what? To be his what? Be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was how many years? 30 years old. Now, this is highly significant because Joseph is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And Joseph began his ministry at the age of 30. Jesus began his ministry at the age of 30. Joseph was sold for uh, for 30 pieces of silver by his brothers. And Jesus was sold uh, by the same amount by Judas. Hmm. Hmm. And you know what else? <laughs> well, what did next week? Jesus also went to Egypt. And the Bible says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Hallelujah, somebody. 
And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. And then in, uh, in verse 50, before the years of famine came, how many? How many? Two what? Two sons were born to Joseph by who? And who was asking that? The daughter of Potiphar. And she was a what? Egyptian. And Egyptians are what? Talk to me, somebody. Joseph named his firstborn what? Y'all got to help me this morning. If you stay away. Manasseh. And he said, it's because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second name, I'm sorry, the second son, he named what? Ephraim. And said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Joseph married an Egyptian. Joseph married an African woman, had two sons by this African woman. They were named Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, now, next slide. Watch this. Watch this. This is a map. Of the land of Israel, the land of Palestine, when, when, uh, uh, Joshua conquered the promised land and God told them to divide up the land among the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, notice this. What's that name right there? And what's that name right there? Ephraim and Manasseh got land in the land of promise. These two boys right here, their mama was an African. And here they are. Where? They in the promised land. Just thought you want to know. Next slide. We said last week, and I'm doing all my reviewing real quick. Joseph who laughed? My wife laughed. She said, oh, Lord, he reviewing. If this reviewing, I hate to see what the rest of it going to look like. I promise you it won't be bad. I'll, I'll hustle through. You guys saw this slide last week. Joseph and Jacob both died in Egypt. They both died in northern Africa. No need for me to read it. Next slide, please, sir. Now we're in Exodus chapter one. I do want to read the first verse that's up there. These are the names of the son of Israel who went down to what? With Jacob, each of his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. The descendants of Jacob number 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, Joseph and all his what? All his what? And all that what? What? Die. Where did they all die? They all die where? Where is Egypt? Africa. Northern Africa. They all. Next slide, please, sir. This is where my new stuff starts. Yes, a new sheriff in town. We're in the book of Exodus now. Joseph. All the generation have died. They died. The prior pharaohs were favorable to the children of Israel while they lived in Egypt. But a new pharaoh comes to power in Egypt. Hence, the new sheriff in town. 
And as a result, he forces the Israelites into slavery because he was fearful because they began to populate. They, they had a whole lot of babies and the nation began to grow. Pharaoh got fearful that if there was some kind of rebellion, that the Israelites would side with their opponents and hence Israel, I mean, hence Egypt would be defeated. So as a result, this Pharaoh placed the nation of Israel in, in bondage. And you know the story. He made them build bricks and, 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 uh, and make bricks and, and, he, and, he, and he got very oppressive. And say, hey, you, we're not even going to provide you with the materials that you need. you got to go and find them yourself. And so this new Pharaoh, who did not know Joseph, rose to power. And as a result, he enslaved the nation of Israel. And as a part of his enslavement, he also engaged in what we might say today in population control. This Pharaoh, now I'm in chapter 2 of Exodus. You can go back and read it for yourself. One of the things that Pharaoh did in his population control was that he met with the Hebrew midwives. And he told the Hebrew midwives that when the Hebrew women give birth, if it's a girl, let her live. If it's a boy, Avery, you are to kill it. Now, why would you kill the boys? Uh, Talk to me. Kill the what? Kill the seed. If you want to destroy people, kill the boys. Kill the seed. Pharaoh knew exactly what he was doing. But that didn't work. Because the Bible says that the midwives feared God. They feared God. And so as a result, Pharaoh upped the ante. And so he passed an edict. He passed a law. At first, it was just dealing with the midwives, but then he passed a law. It became legal. It became an edict that everybody in the land had to obey. And Elder Smiley, the land, the law was, if you see any males that are born to Hebrews, they are to be thrown in the Nile River. Failure to do that would have been punishable by law. This all going on on the continent of Africa. Next slide, please. During this time, we're still in we're still in in Exodus, but uh, I want you to turn. Well, don't turn. You can you can read this later. But in Acts chapter seven, Stephen gives a history lesson of the nation of Israel. And what he does here is that he recounts the life of Moses, hence the title, the Prince of Egypt, that Moses was born during this time, Tristan, when Pharaoh had passed this edict that all male children had to be destroyed. I can imagine the faith of Moses' parents that even in spite of Pharaoh's edict, they did not allow that to stop them from having children. And they went against his decree anyway and still decided to have children knowing that there was a possibility because there was no gender reveal back then. You didn't know what baby you were going to have. You didn't know what gender the child was. And so she took a huge risk. They took a huge risk even having children. 
But yet they did it anyway. At this time, Moses was born. In the midst of this very oppressive system that was in place at this time, Moses was born. And you know the story. Moses' mother put Moses in the Nile River. And then God strategically had Pharaoh's daughter bathing that day. And she sees this basket and she takes this basket out of the water and she sees that it's a Hebrew child. And then God strategically has Moses' sister Miriam watching her brother as he floats down the Nile River. And then Miriam goes up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, hey, do you want somebody to nurse him for you? And Miriam and Pharaoh's daughter said, yes, I do. And then Miriam takes her brother and takes it back to her mama. I mean, only God could orchestrate something like this. And, and, and then she said, tell this woman to nurse this baby and I'll pay her. Lord, have mercy. I, I, only God could, could work that. That somebody you, raise, somebody, you raise your own child for somebody else and they pay to raise your child. But then the Bible says when Moses was weaned and became of age, she took Moses to Pharaoh's daughter. And Moses was raised in the house, in the palace of Pharaoh. And I want you to see this third point. The Bible says that Moses was educated. Moses was educated in all the wisdom. You know Moses had a Harvard education. Moses had the best education that Egypt could offer him. He was trained under the best scholars that Egypt had to offer. Moses was trained by Africans. Was trained and he was reared on the soil of North Africa. And all was part and parcel of God's plan of redemption. And I also wanted to point out that Moses also married a Cushite or a Midian, I'm sorry, a, a Nubian woman. Turn to the next slide, please, sir. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, says that Miriam and Aaron began to talk or murmur against Moses because of his what? Because of his Cushite wife. For he had married. He wants you to make no. Now I want you to understand who's writing this. This Moses writing this. First five books of the Bible written by Moses. And Moses is emphasized, I married a Cushite. Don't get it twisted. I married a Cushite woman. And my brother and my sister had a problem with it. Now, it wasn't because she was black. It wasn't because she was black. Because none of these folks were European. And I searched, like, why, why, was, why were they angry at Moses? And because most scholars believe that, that Moses had two wives. They believe that when Moses was younger, that Moses went to war with Cush. And while he was at war with Cush, while he was a part of the Egyptian army, 
that Moses ended up marrying a Cushite woman after he defeated them and brought her back to Egypt. Now, this is all extra biblical commentary. However, it makes a lot of sense. And then later on, Moses marries a woman named Zipporah, who is a Midianite, who was also a woman of what we may call a woman of color. She wasn't because because the Midianites were descendants of Abraham. You do know Abraham married twice. Hello. No. Abraham had Sarah and then he met. What was what was Abraham's second wife name? Say it loud, Sister Kim. Name Keturah. And from Keturah came the Midianites. Also, what we might call people of color. So Moses married a Cushite woman. Now, I want you to see what happened, how God responded. The, The anger of the Lord burned against who of them? Miriam Aaron. And he left them. When the cloud lifted from the, above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the what? The sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming down from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, please, God, heal her. You know, as I was researching all of this, I found it fascinating that so many people wanted to know, why did God allow Moses to marry a Cushite woman. And I found that kind of a strange, odd question. I mean, why, what do you mean, why would God let Moses marry a Cushite? As if something was wrong with it. As something was evil about marrying a woman that was a Cushite. But now, go to the next slide, David, because I want to show you something. This verse refers to the most historic event in Israelite history, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 37 through 38, it reads that then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot. About how many people? 600,000. 600,000 men on foot beside the children. And uh, what does the next verse say? I can't hear you. A mixed what? What's that about? We mixed multitude of what? That went with them. Mixed multitude of people. Now I want to ask you, how do you go from 60 or 70 people to 600,000? You do it over time. (laughs) And you multiply. But, 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 but there's got to be a whole lot more people involved to get 600,000 men besides children. Now, of course, they, they were in the land for over 400 years, so there had to be some intermingling and intermarrying with a whole lot of other folk in order to get that many people, right? And so when scholars looked at that mixed multitude, there was a mix, in addition to the Hebrews, 
And the Hebrews were already mixed up themselves. Because they they intermarrying with Egyptians and other people coming in there. And then they got a mixed multitude of people who don't necessarily identify with the nation. All these people leaving Africa, going to the promised land. Next slide, David, I think I just want to get to. So now I want to end with this. And it's 1235. So what? 1235. I did good, Miss Kennedy. I'm ready to bring it home. I did pretty good. It's 1235. And it's going to take me five minutes to do this. And we're going to be out here before one o'clock. Can you believe that? What you waving your hand for, Kevin? So what? So what? Okay, you say this, this, that's good, good information. That's good information. So, 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 so what? So what? Why? What's it matter? Is this just an exercise in historical futility? Is it just information for us just to have? Is this is about stroking our black ego, making us feel good as descendants of African people? So what that Abraham went down to Egypt? So what that he was preserved in Egypt? So what that Joseph went to Egypt? So what that Joseph was enslaved? So what that Joseph became vice regent of Egypt? So, so what that Jacob had to go down to Egypt? To get food to survive. So what that his sons went with him also. So what that 70 people ended up in Egypt. So what Jacob died in Egypt. So what Joseph died in Egypt. So what all of the Israelis or the Israelites died in Egypt. So what Joseph married an African woman. So what Joseph had two sons named Ephraim and Manasseh, and those two boys became a part of the nation of Israel, that they were allocated land in the promised land. So what? So? So what? That Moses was born and raised on African soil. So what? Moses was reared in the palace of Pharaoh and that his worldview was shaped by Egyptians. So what? He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. So what? He married a Cushite woman. So what? So what, Avery? What's the big deal? Well, as I said before, The so what is that this isn't just Africa in redemptive history. This ain't just getting a whole bunch of facts. This, my friend, is God's story. This is God's story. This is all God's doing, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, and it is marvelous in his eyes. This is a part of God's
plan. It would, it would be magnificent. It's wonderful to hear about all the African stuff. But, but the most important thing about this, Mark Winifred, is that this is not just African history. This is biblical redemptive history. Because as I said to you earlier, in Genesis chapter 1, God is unveiling what he did in creation. 1 and 2 in Genesis chapter 3, he shows us that, that the, the, when he deal with the fall to let us know what's wrong with the world. But in Genesis, beginning in Genesis chapter 4, God begins to unfold what he's going to do, Craig, to solve the problem that Adam got us in. And a part of God's plan, Kristen, Tristan, I called you Kristen, didn't I? I'm sorry. Tristan, a part of God's plan was to bring a Messiah into the world to save humanity from their sin. But God stepped back and said, I got to find a man first. I got to find a man that I can trust with this mission. And so God went to an area that we call Babylon and tapped on the shoulder of a man called Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I want you to get out of your country. I want you to leave your family, leave your friends, and I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. And Abraham obeyed. And God says, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so now God's word is online. God told Abraham, in you, all nations of the world are going to be blessed. So God has to preserve Abraham because there has to be some descendants to come through Abraham. So God moved to make sure Abraham's life was preserved. So when they fell Christ the land, God had already prepared Egypt to be the breadbasket of the world because God put the Nile River. In North Africa. And God made it possible and situated Egypt for the the river they call the Nile to overflow in season so that it would leave this rich topsoil for Egypt to, 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 to plant crops and to raise all this grain. And so Egypt hence becomes the breadbasket of the world. And so Abraham's life is preserved because God got a plan for Abraham. Got to keep Abraham alive. And so God says, I'm sending you to Africa, Abraham, because Africa is going to sustain you because my word is on the line. You're going to be the father of many nations. And so when Abraham goes down, he's preserved in Africa. And God continues his story and God sends Joseph to Egypt. And at the end of his life, when Joseph think. That Joseph is going to be angry with him because of what they did to him. Joseph said, no, 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 no. Don't get it twisted. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because God helped preserve life. He sent you away, sent you down to Egypt. Because God knew that there was going to be another famine coming on the land. And he sent Joseph down to prepare the way for the rest of the brothers to come down to Egypt so they could preserve the life. So Joseph went down to bring his father and his brothers down to Egypt. And God used the continent of Africa as the incubator and the place 
And Africa became ground zero for the development of the nation that God would use to bring the Messiah into the world. It's God's story. It was his doing. He chose Africa. He chose North Africa for this awesome privilege and responsibility of, again, being ground zero as God began the process of unfolding his redemptive plan to bring Jesus into the world. And he used that nation to bring about the nation of Israel. And then God says, when it's time now, it's time for you to go. And you ain't going to go empty-handed. Because the Egyptians, y'all going to spoil the Egyptians. I put so much stuff in Egypt, I'm going to put so much resources in there. Y'all going to spoil them, and they still going to have a whole lot of stuff left over. And all the gold and all the resources that you take out of Egypt is going to be used to build the tabernacle. All the stuff they took out of Egypt wasn't for them to spend on themselves. It was to build the tabernacle, and the tabernacle became the place where God says, I will dwell with my people. It's a place God came down to dwell with the children of Israel, and all the resources that they used to build the tabernacle came out of Egypt, came out of Africa. So Africa has played a huge role in God's redemptive plan. That is the so what? Because it's God's story. It's God accomplishing his story that he wanted to see accomplished. Amen? Amen. Amen.